This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your Halloween-loving host, Javi. Halloween season. I don't know about the movie series. Movie hey. series is still up for debate. <laughs> and uh, all right, so we are leading up, slowly but surely creeping up to Halloween itself. And uh, now we're getting to a movie that I have been waiting to watch, no lie, maybe since 2018, <laughs> at when uh... I saw the first David Gordon Green Halloween movie. And we're talking about Halloween Kills this week. I could have waited a little longer. <laughs> um, Halloween Kills, much like another movie we did uh, not that long ago, Candyman 2021. Shockingly, these movies were filmed and pretty much put in the can before the pandemic. Yeah, and, pretty much. And it became more of like a... It didn't really become like a big deal until you know, COVID hit, like when they were going to release those movies and, um, you know, like where the, as the date for Candyman kept getting pushed back, uh, got pushed back a couple times last year, this movie straight up as the, uh, premiere date was coming in October of 2020, uh, they released a statement saying this movie was completed, but we're because movie theaters aren't opening yet. We're going to wait until October, 2021 to release this movie. So it kind of sat, sat on the shelf for a long time. Um, <laughs> it kind of sat on the shelf. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. Yeah, and I, for one, am looking forward to it because I do think that right now, I don't know if it's the pandemic or it's that social media has become such a big part of our lives. But it feels like anytime there's a new movie, especially in the horror community, people either love it or hate it. And it's just so polarizing. And this movie is one of those where I found people either love this movie and think it's a welcome addition to the entire Halloween series, or they think it's the worst, most trash fire piece of garbo they've ever seen. So it'll be interesting to hear our own our own thoughts on it because we haven't talked about this movie yet. And that's including the fact that we watched it together. We watched it together last week. We've held off talking about this movie for an entire week. That's pretty incredible when you think about it. Um, yeah, it, you know what? Even Candyman. Candyman, which we loved and both of us basically sucked that movie's dick for the entire length of that episode. It's one of those movies that a lot of people didn't like. And uh, a lot of people felt different ways about it than we did. So definitely interesting to see where the opinions are on this one. Um, right away, I think. All right. So the plot of this movie, for those of you who are like me and Danny McBride and David Gordon Green, I guess, like those of you who are friends and like even friends, sorry. 
those of you who are fans of the Halloween franchise, <laughs> those will... of you who are friends with John Carpenter, like Angel, <laughs> uh, those of you who are fans of the Halloween franchise will kind of pick up the vibe of this movie immediately from when it starts. And that's it. Like to me, this is, it's almost like a remake and like a mix, like a remix of two different Halloween movies in the franchise. One being Halloween four, the the return of Michael Myers. And the other one being maybe my favorite movie in the franchise, Halloween Halloween two. Oh, which we are going to discuss in two weeks or like next week. Sorry. Sometime next week, we are going to be discussing that movie. Yeah. We're going to be discussing Halloween two by Rob Zombie. (laughs) Um, And I, I've always, I think the reason why I've always liked that second movie, maybe even better than the first movie, even though I recognize that the first movie is the classic that we will always go back to. And Halloween two from 1981 is now no longer Canon. Uh, so it's an obsolete sequel that I that I champion, but um, I think one of the things I like about that movie, and we'll and I don't want to talk too much about it because we will be doing an episode strictly on Halloween two coming up. But this movie does the same thing where it's like you get the feeling of it's still Halloween, it's later at night on Halloween, and it feels like you're watching an entire film of what happened after the bomb went off. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like this movie captures the mania of what happens after like a cataclysmic event occurs. And and obviously to a much, much smaller extent. But let's say something like, you know, like the people who lived in New York when the terrorist attacks happened on 9-11, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, you may have been on a different side of town. It may not have been something that affected you like It affected everyone personally in that city who lived there, but it's one of those things where it's like not everyone got injured in that location because just by, you know, whatever the radius is of of the attack that happened of that area, like, you know, it's like it's you were not everyone was personally affected in it, but everyone felt the effects of it. I don't know. Like, it's really interesting. I was talking to a friend and they were telling me that like their family like, I think their grandparent, their grandma was like very, um, was very proud of their like heritage, right? And so even when they came over here, they didn't really like identify as being American. But it was like 9-11 made people that didn't even identify as American. They were like, no, nah, we're American today because this is like, that's just the amount of trauma that people experience that day, you know? Mm-hmm. So very much that vibe is captured in this movie where it's literally Haddonfield versus Michael. <laughs> right. It's like the, the it, you know, Halloween kills is what happens when you have an entire town gripped by fear by this one thing, like this boogeyman that's been plaguing their collective human consciousness for essentially 40 years. And it all comes to a head this night, what, you know, for better or for worse. So yeah, I think I think with that you just want to jump into it. Okay, so this movie starts off immediately with something that I was in, I knew that this was coming at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, early on, when the uh, the news was coming out about Halloween 2018, there were rumblings of the fact that they wanted to do a flashback sequence to the night 
of the original Halloween of what happened after. So what we're told in David Gordon Green's Halloween 2018 is that Michael was arrested shortly after he disappears from, you know, the lawn that he like crash lands on after, after being shot by Dr. Loomis, right? After Loomis unloaded an entire six bullets. In <laughs> and this movie like picks up immediately where that left off by going back to 1978. And oh my fucking God, I think that this is the best stuff in the movie. Like just, it's incredible. Like the painstaking detail, like that was, that, you know that that it took to really transport whatever neighborhood they sh- they filmed this in because it wasn't in Pasadena like the original movie was, but it's like they really like from the grain on the film to the blue hue on the camera like you had from the original Halloween movie like it felt like you were watching like the original hollow like deleted scenes from the original halloween in some ways you guys i had to step away because angel needed some alone time with the first like 20 <laughs> like the first 10 minutes of halloween kills <laughs> when i tell you this man gushed super hard like it, that is kind of an understatement like with the amount of like detail the amount of like um just little like trivia notes and little references specifically for hardcore halloween 2 fans yeah this was movie was made incredible. for guys like me oh yeah this, this movie was made for like 12 people and one of them is angel <laughs> <laughs> um so we see the younger version of uh deputy hawkins you know mm-hmm. who is the he was the uh will Patton character um will Patton, right that's his name yeah, Will Patton yeah. played Frank Hawkins. So at this yeah. point, he's a deputy. I guess he's still a deputy. He is because uh, the sheriff is the guy with the black cowboy hat, who I always forget his name because he just makes such a non-impression on me. It's so but, hard not to call him the man of black, man in black too, because he's always dressed in black too. <laughs> well, all right, the man in black did also wear a cowboy hat, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> so, so I mean, it kind of works, like. <laughs> Both men in black work like <laughs> wore cowboy hats. All right. Um, so th- this movie kicks off. It really does kick off like Halloween too, despite the fact that that movie is not in canon anymore, because mm-hmm. it really is like, it's the police officers this time chasing after Michael running through the, uh, you know, through the alleys of Haddonfield, which look exactly like the ad- alleys that Michael is walking through at the beginning of Halloween too. Like it again. It, it's what it's just what makes me transport back into that timeline, um, and I guess they're all looking to where Michael would have gone. You know, obviously he left. It's the it's uh, Tommy Doyle's house is the house that he was attacking Laurie at in the closet. So once he is shot, like he leaves the Doyle residence and he's walking, I guess, towards his house. They call it 45 Lampkin Lane, just like Halloween lore has called it. The house has been painstakingly recreated on a soundstage. It's the same Myers house from the original Halloween movie. Um, to Right down to the freaking uh, doorknob that like flies through the window for unexplained reasons and like causes like 
Loomis to get frightened and pull a gun out when he's with Sheriff Brackett in there. Um, it, yeah, it is just so crazy that, that they've decided to go this far back. And one of the things that you ask yourself again, when you're watching a movie like this, it's okay. What's the big change that this movie made from the original Halloween timeline? Laurie Strode and Michael Myers are no longer related. And, um, the second one is that, you know, like one of the things about Halloween too, I liked the first half of that movie a whole lot better than the second half, even though. I like the stuff where he's chasing Lori through the hospital in Halloween too. It doesn't make any sense for him to be following Lori and, you know, making Lori Michael's sister. It's one of those things that kind of gets stuck to their story forever and turns Michael into like a killer that needs to wipe out his entire family bloodline for the rest of the series. So this movie does, it, it takes the stuff I like about Halloween too, which is like, Yes, we're watching Michael like just glide and 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 make his way through these neighborhoods, like killing other people as he's like trying to get to wherever he's getting. Except this time, it's not personal against Lori. He's absolutely not wait, not looking for her. He's really just looking to like go through a bunch of people and murder the living shit out of them to get to his own house. But you know, this in in the flashback scene, you know, we we get. Uh, young hawkins and i guess like his partner um they, they end up going into the meyer house uh they go into like the judith meyer's room and one of the officers uh you know talks about how he knew michael when he was a kid his mom made him play there and all he ever wanted to do was stand at the window and stare out of his sister's window and uh just some you know whatever the unexplained reasons why they needed to add all of this detail but as they're standing inside of Judith's room, Michael just like pops up out of nowhere in a wild jump scare. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and he it, like it wasn't just the jump scare of him popping out. It was the fact that he like runs at uh, mm-hmm. at um what's his name? Uh Will Patton's partner. Crap, what was the What's his name in the what's his character name again? I don't know, but Frank well, Hawkins. There we go. <laughs> so it's like Frank is just staring at his partner, and then all of a sudden Michael like runs up. No, well, Frank is Frank is Will Patton. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what you're I'm talking. Saying. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, but or you Michael just call him Hawkins because Hawkins is all we're <laughs> I will call him what it says on the screen. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Which is Hawkins. <laughs> but the point is he's like you know hawkins is watching his partner and then all of a sudden michael just comes like it was it's inhumanly fast how he moves and it got the shit out of me because i was not ready for michael to one move that fast and two be there because everything up until now has been the slow lumbering michael stereotype that we're used to so it's like to see him glide that way was fucking good Okay, I will say this does happen in Halloween 1. It happens the moment that Lori leaves the bedroom where she stabbed Michael. And as she walks into the hallway carefully, not knowing that he sat up behind her, he runs up behind her, turns her around and starts strangling her the same way that she's strangling this police officer. And it's right at that moment that Dr. Loomis runs up the stairs finds Michael like when Laurie has removed his mask he can confirm it's Michael and that's when he shoots him mm-hmm. so this movie is doing exactly that it is taking like shot for shot beats from Halloween one 
except it's doing it with these two police officers. The main difference being is that this police officer was not as quick with the trigger as uh, Dr. Loomis is. So, you know, maybe he just needed a, uh, if he was a psychiatrist, maybe he'd, maybe he'd be a lot better shot, but, but he, (laughs) instead of like actually shooting Michael, which he was very hesitant to do in the first place, he ends up accidentally shooting his partner, causing him to bleed out. So Michael didn't even really kill this guy. Uh, He just like, you know, leaves that he walks out of the house or, you know, escapes. And when uh, Hawkins is walking down the stairs, that's when we like see Dr. Loomis, Dr. Loomis coming back. Now I I was hearing that they were going to do some sort of CGI Loomis deal here, but they didn't. They actually had a guy who worked on the crew of this movie who apparently looked exactly like Dr. Loomis once they applied some old age makeup onto him. And uh, I guess the same guy who did the Loomis tapes voice in Halloween 2018 ends up doing the voice. So it took two people to to basically recreate Loomis. And it's very convincing. It's smart. They never zoom in on his face. So you can never really like pay too much attention to what Loomis looks like. It's very well done. It's handled in a way where it's like. That could be Loomis. I'm not going to argue. And plus, he's never on screen for too long, uh, long enough for any audience to question if it's really him or not. And because it's not CGI, you're not getting that strange, uncanny valley effect that you get when you watch like Grandma Tarkin in Star Wars Rogue One or something like that. Yeah, for real. Or even weird digitally de-aged characters like <laughs> in Marvel and Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah, in like Marvel and Star Wars. And yeah, it's definitely it is it's interesting to see them go practical with it as opposed to CGI. Um so you know, from there we find out that Loomis wanted to kill Michael right there on the doorstep, and I guess uh Hawkins you know, he later describes the fact that he thought of Michael as someone's child and he did not want to allow Dr. Loomis to publicly execute him in front of the rest of the police department. Way to go, idiot. (laughs) So, you know, um, and before we even like get to the flashback, the movie actually starts off from like the moment after, uh, you know, Michael's villainous doctor from the last movie uh stabbed hawkins outside of his police car Mm -hmm. um so and he's found by allison's boyfriend uh cameron who really Mm -hmm. didn't get a ton of screen time in the last movie and will get a little bit more screen time this time um he's the one who finds him and ends up you know calling you know for assistance to come and take him to the hospital i mean he got an okay amount of screen time i I just never thought really the movie was going to be focused on him Mm-hmm. I mean, it just sucks that the screen time he did have, he was a turbo douche. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So from there, from the end of that uh, flashback sequence, we end up going to the Halloween credit sequence, which is just like Halloween 1, 2, and 2018 with the black backdrop and the orange, like, you know, letters uh, with the pumpkins on the side and all that kind of stuff. Same deal. Um bringing back that retro feel also uh from there we kick off into what this movie's about and i'm gonna be honest i thought this was fucking awesome i think this is really cool and this might legitimately i really think it this movie is up there 
with uh, Halloween 1 and 2 as the best entries in this franchise. Because much of the rest of this movie is going to be surrounding the people of Haddonfield. And even though it makes absolutely zero sense that, um, you know, that Tommy Doyle and Lindsay Wallace and Lonnie Ulam would all like live in this small town like for 40 years after this uh, event had happened. And the fact that they would know who Marion Chambers is, a woman who appeared at Smithsgrove, which is 150 miles away from Haddonfield. So she didn't live there. And she like, had no reason to be in Haddonfield. She had no reason to know these people. <laughs> but again, I i didn't mind like i thought that i was like okay fine if we're gonna go here then let's go ahead and go here and the relationship stuff between all of them it really did kind of make me think of like david gordon green's red oak series on amazon like it's just it's this bizarre like cabal of characters that have no reason to be hanging around each other but it's like it makes total sense why they're all friends and and that movie and that series has like a a, ha- a way of doing that as well um yeah it's really- personally um yeah i know you love the the haddonfield versus michael trope that kind of takes center stage in this movie i liked it in the beginning and then i was like okay this is getting you know this is really good and then it gets super ham-fisted towards like the second act and i'm just like oh, i'm kind of over this now and then it kind of pulls back from the cliff at the end but i mean we'll get more into it but i mean everything in the beginning where it focuses on tommy doyle like tommy doyle's at that uh open mic night at the bar right and the way he's able to talk to people and he's kind of like he's opens up about his experience and how he deals with like his trauma with with uh dealing with michael myers i'm like okay like he seems like a very okay character and he does seem like the guy that can lead that that is gonna lead the posse (laughs) that's eventually gonna take take over but it's like, yeah, I think the beginning, the forming and like getting to know Haddonfield as a city and almost as a character is is really interesting. Okay, so Halloween 2018, I think one of the things that we talked about, because I went back and listened to our review of that, and, and I think we were both skeptical of it then when we reviewed that movie. Jamie Lee Curtis leading up to that movie was talking about how she thought of that as like kind of like a Me Too horror movie kind of like a you know of of the moment type of film that was about like you know women taking taking control taking agency back um and finally like freeing themselves of the abusive men in their lives you know like that kind of deal like it was it was this it was supposed to be this powerful like moment and stuff like that and while there's there is stuff in that movie that's like that I don't like the way that movie has aged for me. Like, I still feel like in Halloween 2018, there is nothing as interesting or cool between Michael and Lori as what happens in the end of Halloween H2O, which is, in my opinion, a much worse movie. Like, it's nowhere near as good as Halloween 2018. But that last act of that movie where Lori, you know, like traps herself on the campus of a private school like 
you know, when no one else is there and it's just like her and Michael, like about to battle to the death, like <laughs> that is like, there's, there's no moment that feels that powerful in Halloween 2018. They try mm-hmm. to get there, but they didn't really get there. And I think where this movie, I like it a lot better is instead of going towards that, you know, saying, oh, this is like a Me Too movie, which feels very like exploitative in my opinion. This mm-hmm. feels a lot more like the the like public angst Halloween movie where it's like, you know, like we've been in a pandemic for however long we've been. And a lot of this pandemic has been people going to state capitol buildings protesting masks, people protesting police killings, people protesting election results. It's like what this movie captures people storming is, our country's capital. Yeah, like it 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 is it is people like people this, are pissed. This movie captures yeah, it captures the mood of a bunch of people like you know the, just this 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 population where it's people of all races and ages but there's like this anger that's boiling you know under everyone mm-hmm. and it's also kind of it's funny because it took place before the pandemic this movie was finished before covid even hit mm-hmm. and yet at the same time much like even Candyman, like i feel like it's so modern in the way that it just captures the moment that we're all living in that i i don't know how like it's I, you're gonna have to, like- you're going to have to explain it to me because I don't know how someone could watch a movie like this and not think it's impressive how they captured the mood of what's happening right now. So almost, I know that you're probably going to have a different opinion of mine. So I need to hear what you think of this, of, of the kind of like basically the tone of this movie. It's almost like someone with two working brain cells could some could kind of like map the trajectory of where this country was headed <laughs> back in 2018 <laughs> because of how polarizing and just because i mean let's be real like talking about civil unrest isn't anything new it's been going on in the u.s for fucking years and it's been supercharged in the last couple years specifically because of how polarizing ident- identity politics has kind of become right so honestly like it feels like, like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Danny Gordon Green. No, it's Danny McBride and David Gordon Green, right? So it feels like they got the foresight to just think, like, like just to kind of think about where the logical conclusion was when you have a bunch of people that are already angsty and angry and not knowing what's going to happen because i mean let's be real like the last five years have been full of unknowns for people whether it was losing reproductive rights whether it was losing you know um whether it was losing fucking citizenships whether it was losing your ability to go to school whether it was your losing your ability to just go down the street and buy stuff without being afraid of being the next victim of some sort of senseless act of violence because of the color of your skin like there or or, vice, or flipping the coin on the other side being like you know feeling that you are the victim of a tyrannical rule it's like there there there's just a lot of anger out there there's a lot of like frustration in people so it's like i i get where they got those themes and i actually do think that part is cool 
the part I hated <laughs> and the part where it gets weird is how ham-fisted it gets, like, especially towards middle when we're talking about specifically the character of the Umbrella Man from Halloween 2018. Okay, I will yeah. agree with you on that. I think that the inclusion of that character feels like a step too far. I think... My only thing about that is what I do like about it is it reminds you, hey, Michael wasn't the only person that escaped, you know, Mm -hmm. last night. Like this is supposed to be the night right after. So it's like he wasn't the only person that escaped that night. It's weird that they picked only one Smithsgrove, like, you know, inmate to be mm -hmm. the guy like it. If they really wanted to be to do a better job with this, you probably would have had it be more than one, maybe like a couple. Like to me, though, it's so yeah, you should have done a couple. But like to me, it becomes so bizarre if you're like because I get what you're saying. Like I I get what they're trying to say is that, you know, civil unrest and that societal angst that we feel can lead to death and destruction because it already has. It's happened in the real world. But when you're telling the story like it, it feels weird because uh, it, it feels very weird hamfist and out of place when you're talking about this movie specifically because especially when you have people like the entire town is afraid of, of michael myers and to turn their fear onto one person okay i'm still behind that but when logically it makes no sense that the Umbrella Man and Michael Myers don't even look alike, <laughs> that's it's it, it it pushes your suspension of disbelief to a certain extent, and you're just like you can't believe that mob rule would be that bad, or maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> that's my thing. That's my thing. It's one of those things where you're like, man, this is dumb. This doesn't feel like it makes any sense. What about what happened in the Capitol? on on the 6th of january right like it's Mm -hmm. one of those things where you watch it on television and as you're watching it on tv like i was working that day while you're watching it on tv you're like there's no fucking way that this is actually happening right now and you're like this is the scene out of a movie and it's just like i don't know like is it is it that it's just is it that people don't like and it's funny again this ha- this movie was filmed and put away like before this happened. At least a year before it happened. <laughs> like it's one of these weird movies that somehow predicted where things were going. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, like I get it. Like I know the the scene of the umbrella man like jumping out the window and killing himself. Like it, it's in the fact that they like want you to like look at it as some sort of dramatic moment and stuff like that. I agree don't with forget that. the constant chanting of evil dies tonight. Like <laughs> it really does feel. Yeah. Like that, that scene, I will agree with you. It feels like the stuff out of the last movie where they were like, Oh, well, it's about women like taking their lives back and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it yeah, it, I get, I, I get what you're saying. It does feel like that, that on the nose about it. But there's a lot of people that legit that they don't even like I feel like they don't even get the subtext or then there's also this other kind of like backlash against elevated horror now too, mm-hmm. where people are just like, well, I'm sick of it. Why does everything have to be so deep? Like, you know, why can't we just get like more senseless movies? That reminds me of the joke from uh, from uh, Parks and Recs where uh, where uh, Ron Swanson is like, I, that's why my favorite book is uh, that's why my favorite book is Moby Dick. Absolutely no symbolism, 
All it is is about a man and the fish he's trying to kill. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some days I'm like, yeah, that's how I feel. I want to go back to the simple days where it was just a man trying to kill something. <laughs> <laughs> Completely ignoring the subtext around the Babadook. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's the thing. And like, you know, and, and again, like it's not it's not as it's not as well done as something like hereditary. I will. I will concede all of that. None of this stuff in here is elevates as high or feels as impressive as hereditary and it follows, which I still like legitimately it follows is probably the closest feeling I've had since Halloween watching a horror movie, like ever since, like it just, Mm -hmm. it perfectly captures all the things I love about that original John Carpenter movie while doing something pretty different. Um, And even like this, like, I feel like even, even this series is kind of chasing the coattails of something like that. Well, I mean, do you consider this movie elevated horror? Because I don't really like, if anything, I think David Gordon Green considers this elevated Ah. horror and I think people watching it think that's what it's supposed to be. And that's where the turnoff is. But I also can't be someone to speak for other people that I don't know. Because <laughs> to me, it feels like this movie does have moments where it doesn't know what it wants to be. It doesn't know whether it wants to be the, the slasher movie, like the blood and gut slasher movie, or if it wants to be an elevated horror t- talking about our society. I, so I will agree with both. that. I will agree with that. But what I do like about the fact that there are like spurts of this movie where Michael's not even in it or Mm -hmm. when Laurie's not even in it is that you're, you're really just watching scenes of Tommy and the survivors group. They're all Mm -hmm. like at a bar, like telling the story about what happened to them. You Uh. get like the, the doctor and nurse, like, you know, uh, costume characters from the last movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, who were who apparently aren't Julian's parents, and yeah. I feel very like problematic for assuming they were. Yeah, it's what's it called? They they were not Julian's parents, as I thought when I watched that movie last time. Because it's just like says more about us than it does about them. Well, no, because it the, the scene of Julian being taken care of by Allison's friend like came shortly after the scene of Michael walking through the streets of Haddonfield. Mm-hmm. So you're left to infer pretty much that it's their house. And the way they get around it here is, oh, there goes that annoying ass neighbor kid that's on TV. <laughs> and, you know, the the cameo appearance of Julian was nice. I was very glad that they found a way to shoehorn him into this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like during this scene we got tommy doyle talking in the bar meanwhile like going on at the same time you have the strode women escaping uh Lori's compound as it burns down having flagged down a truck to take them back into town a la texas chainsaw massacre very much so <laughs> because and, like you don't even see the driver they all just hop in the they all just hop in the truck and right away <laughs> <laughs> oh man the truck driver uh, but anyway, as they're driving away, they you know going against the traffic, you see a fire uh, fire truck going to the burning compound, mm-hmm. to which the women just kind of exclaim, "Let it burn! Like don't save him!" And this is the beginning of the good old campy slasher blood and guts movie. <laughs> yeah, this is the the Michael killing in this and the last movie. It feels like that's their nod to Rob Zombie's Halloween. <laughs> yeah, just the level of like aggression brutality. and brutality. 
brutality of it is pretty insane because Michael goes on to murder 12, 12 <laughs> firefighters who you're left to assume are anywhere like from a quarter to half of uh, Michael's age. Yeah. And he murders them using all kinds of improvised weapons. He uses a buzzsaw to kill one of them. He stabs one dude with a crowbar. And I have personally, I absolutely hate the shot of Michael coming out of the house and then he has like the fire in the background right behind him. It just looks so like obvious. I, in the trailer, it looks, it looks superimposed, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. It looks superimposed. In the trailer, it looks worse. But in the movie, it's cleaned up a bit, but the suit, like, it's still obvious that's superimposed. But yeah, Michael ends up killing everybody and he ends up taking the fire truck. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I like about this stuff, though, even though it is brutal and I'm not one that like really cares for brutal kills and stuff like that, I think that this movie succeeds in turning Michael into what I think John Carpenter always thought he was, which was it's not a human being. It is kind of like the shape of a human being, mm-hmm. embodiment of evil kind of stuff. In this, I, and and I think the guy who said it best here it comes. You're gonna you're gonna love this. Mm. The character in this entire franchise who describes this movie's Michael Myers the best is Busta Rhymes. That's in right, baby. Halloween <laughs> Resurrection, because just like Busta Rhymes says in that movie. Michael Myers is nothing but a killer shark in baggy ass overalls that gets its kicks out of killing everything it comes across. And that is essentially what they do here. He's now just basically he's the shark from Jaws now. A force of nature that is barely that is not really like there to be reasoned with is there to just mow people down until we get to where he wants to go did you watch halloween resurrection just to pull that quote no (laughs) oh oh, so you memorized that i at one point in my life owned halloween resurrection on dvd you know like and i still do no shit no i lost it when i moved one of when i moved homes like before i moved out of my parents house so i know what you're getting for christmas (laughs) i'm absolutely not i never want to watch that movie ever again i just remember all of his ad-lib lines because it's so bad or maybe we can watch it next season next halloween season and be our grand finale way to invite everyone to like (laughs) now request halloween resurrection Because everyone hates us. But um, yeah, I think that, you know, from here on out, imagine Michael is the T-1000 in Terminator and the rest mm-hmm. of the movie is the police department scene from the Terminator. <laughs> well, and funny enough, like I know that one of the, one of David, not, uh, not David Fincher. <laughs> God, I yeah, am losing two different my, people. I am losing my mind. One of James Cameron's inspirations for terminator was actually john carpenter and halloween so it's it just these things all come full circle eventually yeah everything time is a flat circle (laughs) um other characters that make their grand return in this uh we get (laughs) we get previously sheriff bracket in the original halloween whose daughter is murdered by michael he is now the 
very, very old security guard of this hospital. And uh, while it is kind of sad to see this man as old as he is now, uh, it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like his position at that hospital is probably ceremonious more than anything. Which I would say his inclusion back into this franchise is also mostly ceremonial as like a way for us to appreciate uh, the characters from that original movie while they're still here with us. (laughs) Yeah, because I don't he he doesn't add anything. No, he adds nothing to it. It's he has nothing to it. It just feels like a reference for those who are in the know and Mm. um but, you know, at the hospital, that's where we get all the chaos because, uh, you know, yeah, all the Lori. survivor groups like Tommy's survivor groups, they all get murdered inside of, uh, I think it's Lindsay's car uh, where Michael like jumps on the roof of it, just like he did for Marion in the original Halloween, mm-hmm. puts his hand through the window, rips Marion's hair out, <laughs> um, r- like kills one of the guys by stabbing him and then you get the weird like where your limbs are still moving even though you're very clearly like instantly dead (laughs) yeah the death rattles oh it just freaks me out like that kill just freaked me the fuck out and then you get uh vanessa who i think is like the the nurse she was Mm -hmm. the one in the nurse outfit she comes up to try to shoot michael and mike like the door Michael's like swings the door open and then the gun turns on her and she shoots herself in the head. I was and like, geez. Yeah, it is Something absolutely tells- brutal. It's pretty fucking crazy how brutal it like they turn it up a notch. You know, I think this movie does in, in that kind of like thing capture just also how dangerous it is when you know like the the discourse around guns right now is well, you know, if a good guy had a gun then they'd be there to stop the bad guy with a weapon. And I feel like that's one of the things that this movie is also saying too, is that, all right, well, you can go ahead and carry a gun and try to fight the good guy with the, the bad guy with the gun. But you know, if the good guy with the gun is also like capable of making mistakes, you know, much like Hawkins, you can either shoot the wrong person, end up shooting the person who is, you know, quote unquote, innocent or end up you killing yourself, yourself. Yeah. or killing others you know that you didn't mean to kill at all mm-hmm. and uh that's my only thing and that and that that's personally like you know when i hear the argument about you know good guys with guns i'm like yeah well good guys with guns are just as likely to make awful horrifying tragic mistakes as bad guys with guns are uh while trying to stop them even though the intent is more benevolent yeah, mistake's a mistake. Yeah. As we're learning with, you know, hey, bringing up current topics, but as we're learning with, like, uh, you know, Alec Baldwin. <laughs> oh, man. And that is, that is mm-hmm. insanely current. Like, yep. I think that's it like literally just current. happened in the last 24 hours. So. Yeah. That yeah. whole situation's fucking wild. Um, but yeah. So after, let's see. Yeah, so after that, we get Allison ends up leaving the hospital to talk to Cameron, her ex-boyfriend. And I guess they end up making up and she ends up joining the posse um, to try to kill Michael kind of in a way to avenge her dad. Well, what I like about this, there's two things that I like about this. One, they finally are dealing with the death of 
you know, Ray. Yeah, it took them forever because you go the rest of the movie, they have to kill Michael in 2018, and then they get here. And I guess that makes sense because, you know, now that adrenaline's kind of like disconnected and they've had a moment to process everything. Right. I guess it makes sense now that we see, uh, like, the mom, we see Allison and her mom um finally break down and you're surrounded by everyone else who's had loved ones that have been harmed and stuff like that it, it, it's finally kicking in the other thing too is i don't think that allison takes cameron back i think that she trusts him enough you know like to to go ahead like it's one of those things where it's like their romantic relationship is practically gone they don't kiss mm-hmm. they don't hold hands they don't hug she obviously well, I mean, cares about him still. Well, I mean, you're also not going to hug and kiss and hold hands while you're <laughs> being hunted by evil incarnate. Sure. But, you know, it's like it, it doesn't it's not forcefully putting them back together. I think you can infer from from their relationship in this that either that they'll either get back together as a couple, not a couple. doesn't matter. The mm-hmm. the important thing for them is survival right now. And for Allison, revenge. <laughs> which means she's less like her mother and a lot more like her grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> Despite the fact that even though a lot of people are going to rail on Judy Greer, not, not Judy Greer, but her character, like Aaron. as being always the one that like is, is too optimistic, wants to protect everyone from everything. She kind of does feel like the adult in the room sometimes. Yeah, because, because realistically... <laughs> You have a like an octogenarian that wants to go on a murder spree, and you <laughs> have a team. Oh my god, Jamie Lee Curtis! This is like the first time that Jamie Lee Curtis has been brought back into a sequel, like on her own, like desire to return. Yeah. And I'm glad that this trilogy is going to include her completely in it. But oh my fucking god, does she just like go absolutely bat nuts crazy? Uh, she and Hawkins are in the same room because mm-hmm. you're reminded of the fact that uh, that they were married at one point. You know, hell, I forgot was, about that. He was one of her failed marriages. Um, she's I don't doesn't look like she's Karen's dad, so she's the mm-hmm. other guy. Um, and <laughs> she is like once she finds out that Michael is in fact still alive, she is ready to leave the hospital and continue hunting him. She has been stitched together because her insides were literally falling out. <laughs> And uh, she like grabs a needle of God knows what and just shoves it like, you know, into her leg or her ass cheek and is immediately going to go right back out there and try to fight people. I love the idea of just injecting yourself with mystery medical goo and hoping for the best. <laughs> it's like, no, actually, you just got, you just gave yourself an antihistamine. I'm alive! She basically like, Oh, it looked like somebody like getting an EpiPen, like when they're having an allergic reaction to something. <laughs> it's so bizarre to watch her just stab herself <laughs> and say, All right, let's get out of here. Grab my coat. It's like she's done this before. <laughs> and of course, because, you know, she's all like doped up and isn't in her right mind at all there's this giant crowd of people that are running back and forth in the hallways and Lori like runs into somebody else and like opens her stitches back up. Immediately her plan goes to shit when the mob like starts turning on Lance Tavoli. And you know what? It's, it's what I like about that as well is, you know, it's a couple things. It's like 
it feels like Lori is the one that always thought that she needed to stop Michael. You mm-hmm. find out Hawkins also feels like he's the one that always felt like he needed to stop Michael. You probably get the feeling that Loomis in this timeline died thinking that he should have been the one to stop Michael that night. And you find out that Lori's not special. And, yep. and that is the thing that, you know, Halloween 2 was saying. Halloween 2 was saying that she was special and Michael was always going to go after her. This one is, te- it's like, it's Michael's way of telling her, you didn't mean as much to me as you mm-hmm. think you did. And that's still like, you know, you, it, it could still go to the abuse themes because there's a lot of like serial abusers that can go from person to person to person causing all sorts of emotional wreckage without mm. even thinking about all the people that they've hurt in their lives. So it, it's, it just, it brings everything to kind of like that realistic level, quote unquote, re, about as realistic as a Halloween movie is going to get. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's about that shared trauma and that shared experience that they all, they all have that survivor's guilt to a certain extent where they all believe that they were the ones that, if they survived it was for a reason and clearly it has to be to see michael die and it's like well no none of you have been able to accomplish that because that's also not your job <laughs> like uh, yeah i mean it's just it, it i do like that part because it does point out one like the weird it points out the weirdness of like the vigilante mentality because that's what it is, is a lot of these people are taking on that vigilante role because they think it's their job, whether it's uh, whether it's uh, Hawkins, whether it's um, Loomis, Lori, or Doyle and his crap or his mob, right? It's all these people that think that they they are the ones that have to take on this burden by themselves, and it's like no, that's not your job. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to live your life, you know. And it just so happens that this you know monster keeps coming back um but yeah it is interesting to see the effects that michael has had like the psychological effects he's had not just yeah like not just on these individuals but the entirety of the town um but yeah like moving forward this is the scene we were we were talking about earlier where uh the one of the escaped uh patients comes to the hospital looking for help and instead he see he gets confronted by um all these you know, this angry mob who apparently don't care what he looks like, even though it makes zero sense for him to be confused with Michael, uh, he ends up getting chased. And as he's like running through the, through the hospital, Karen actually tries to help him, um, you know, by, by locking the, by locking him into like the third floor of the hospital, uh, third or fourth floor, but like locking him in this hallway so that the crowd can't get to him. Uh, meanwhile, the crowd just entire the entire time chanting "Evil dies tonight." That's kind of like the rallying cry of the of the movie, and you know there you get these slow mo shots of people just pissed off and enraged and like smashing windows to try to get to Lance. And the entire time, I can't help but think, how long is this night? Because it, this has to be like two in the morning at this point. <laughs> but anyway like this crowd starts smashing the doors in and lance in an attempt to try to get out he gets out to the ledge of the window and ends up uh having to dive off and you know rather than be killed by the mob and decides to commit suicide by jumping off the building uh and killing himself 
And then the crowd goes and investigates the body and they find out that that's not Michael because it never was Michael. It didn't look like Michael at all. You idiots just didn't want to listen to reason. And it's at this point where I definitely felt it was ham-fisted. Like, I get the point they were trying to make, but this is where you take the two-by-four and break it over the audience's head. And I just felt like it could have been done differently, you know? Like, you didn't have to have this scene done in a way where it feels like Lance is the, um, what's it called? The, uh, the sacrificial lamb of the movie, you know? Yeah. All right. So maybe the characters I, I enjoyed for reasons I can't even explain to you. Mm-hmm. We get Michael Myers' childhood home, which has now been effectively gentrified. Like oh, his neighborhood. Big Mike and Little Mike? No, it's Big John and oh. Little John. Oh, fuck me. I'm so, so wrong. <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying, like, I, I like the names, too. Like, it, <laughs> Big John and Little John are, you know, the couple that is now, like, living inside the Myers house. They are, yeah, basically, like, basic bitches, right? Like, they're really into the Halloween series. They're doing all these sh- charcuterie and... uh you know, playing all the Halloween music, all this, the fall stuff that we all like doing. We all, we're all basic as shit now. Um, <laughs> and like, you know, they, they get to enjoy it in the most infamous house in the community. And I like this because we didn't see the Myers house the entire last movie. Like we didn't really know what it was, you know, and all that kind of stuff. This movie, like it doesn't do what the old series did. The old series always left the Myers house as like some haunted fright house inside the town that looks like something out of a Tim Burton movie. By the time you get the Halloween five, like it just looked like a Gothic mansion. And um, in this one, it's like, it's more of what would happen. It doesn't matter if somebody died inside of somebody's house. You know, the way, the way the housing market works now, that house is getting bought. Like, it, it doesn't matter if they were doing seances in it, like, you know, or doing, like, fuck shows, like, in Girl on the Third Floor in the last movie. It does not matter what happened in the old house. Like, that house is getting bought no matter what. <laughs> fuck shows. <laughs> and I do like, you know, the characters that were in Michael's house. They, they basically, they understand the lore. You know, the kids don't, because much like in 2018, what we find out is, you know, a lot of time has gone by, so people don't remember michael myers but now a lot of people are a lot more people are starting to remember a lot of the older people in the town are like you know scaring the younger kids by telling them about it and uh, stuff like that while adding their own like details about how you know the ghosts of judith like haunts the house (laughs) (laughs) mostly trying to scare the kids because one of them who was wearing the silver shamrock skull mask like broke into their house while the other two silver shamrock kids were like distracting them so um, oh yeah, you do see the return of uh, of uh, the silver sam- shamrock mask. So it's like this is a total love letter to the entire series, honestly. <laughs> and I love it too. I mean, you know, Halloween three is now really one of the most beloved entries in the franchise lately. Like it's just gotten such a cult following in the last like decade, really. Um, that now people love that movie so much. So it really is cool to just think of the fact that, all right, cool. Like, you know, it it exists here (laughs) and much like in Halloween three, anyone who wears those, uh, you know, anyone who wears those masks in this movie will not make it past midnight. 
it's funny that <laughs> we're in that other podcast group page on Facebook, and all the memes that came up about Tom Atkins wanting to have sex with all our mothers. <laughs> I don't know why, but it was like the funniest running joke that kept happening. You know what? Next next year we should do Halloween three and Halloween Resurrection because. Yes, Halloween 3, I watched it very recently, and uh, yes, Tom Atkins is a drunk, horny sex machine. No, remember, we had <laughs> we had running jokes of him being like that 1960s doctor that just goes around slapping nurses' asses. Which he absolutely does in 1982. <laughs> <laughs> but that's another story for another show. Oh man. Anyway, so moving forward. So yeah, like you were saying, we got uh Big John and Little John. <laughs> I'm sorry. The little John button got me. Right yeah, now. you got to I, I, that's why I wanted to remind you what their actual names were because it is enjoyable. Much like the again, all the new Haddonfield characters, I like all the characters in this movie. This movie feels a lot like I feel like it because we're not spending so much time with Laurie in this movie. We're spending less time on some of the deep, serious stuff, and I feel like that's the moment. Like these guys, to me, feel like the um, they feel like the Halloween one babysitter talk kind of guys. Oh, I thought you I thought you were going to say the podcasters from 2018. No, hell no. I didn't like those guys either. <laughs> There's I mean, a lot of more, characters in that last one I didn't like. They're I'm talking more, more likable than the podcasters, but I still feel they were kind of similar in the sense that they were people that were like still profiting off of someone else's like misfortune, you know? Yeah. No, I, they, I, think I think Little John even mentions like, "Hey, we got this house for a steal because we didn't give a shit about the history of it." Right. Which, you know, again, if you're someone who can actually afford to buy a house, which how many of us can these days, you know, you're going to be absolutely happy with whatever you've been able to, like, you know, wrangle up. Oh, this is the fright house that was falling apart and everyone in town thinks it's haunted. Absolutely. I'll take that. <laughs> was that Anton LaVey masturbated in this house? Right. <laughs> I'm just saying, you guys, if you if any listeners- we literally had an episode last year where we watched Rosemary's Baby and like I literally looked up like listings to see how much a unit in the Dakota actually costs just just for our own like what's it called uh, curiosity. But seriously, if there's any listeners of the show and you guys buy yourself a house and you don't know if it's hooky dooky or haunted, just give us a call. My mom will go and she'll do a blessing, like an old Salvadorian blessing on the house. But you got to cut us some scratch, at least 50 bucks, all right? Yeah, well, all right. <laughs> nah, man, I'm selling my services. Technically, my mom's service. <laughs> yeah, not even your service, but okay. Um, Michael eventually gets to that house, too. And sadly, brutally kills them. 
the same way that he brutally killed, uh, you know, the other two older characters who were playing with a drone earlier in the movie. That's the thing. It's like, again, it's like you get the sense of all the people that live in this town. And there's a ton of very brutal kills in this movie. Mm -hmm. And every kill feels like it has some sort of consequence. And that's not something that you get in slasher movies very often. So it's it. I feel like it really is the stuff that keeps this movie much like the Halloween series in general, like a slight step above the others. It keeps it grounded. The fact that all these people have actual like connections to other people within the movie. Well, and no other movie in this franchise does that. So it like so it feels different. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing. It's like you could look at something like this and say, well, this feels like resurrection because it's like Michael's no longer related to Lori. You know, Laurie's barely in it. And a lot of it's about him getting back to his house to kill whoever's around. And it's like that movie did, could, didn't know what it wanted to do and had made all these awful, terrible choices. And is still to this day, the absolute worst movie in this franchise. Worst. Mm-hmm. Like it gets no worse than that movie. And- it's actually really interesting because this one might be a controversial opinion. I think the only other movie that goes out of its way to show that there's any sort of consequence to character deaths is I think it was the first Rob Zombie Halloween one where Bracket finds Annie dead. Yes. Or well, all no, stabbed up, right? Stab because yeah. he finds her dead in the second one. In the and second he does one. get the tragic moment where he's dealing with the consequence of that. That's I what think, it was. That's I think the one the, I was thinking. The of. problem with that is I don't think that Rob Zombie had I just don't think he had the range and capacity. He doesn't have the emotional maturity of right. a grown man. Like when 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 most of the movie is like topless like rock concerts in like farmland Haddonfield and like ghost women with horses it's just like Rob Zombie just doesn't have the range to to pull the emotional strings that he wants to with that movie so Mm -hmm. so this one I feel like we're in the hands of a much more capable director and you can feel it yeah definitely all right this pretty much takes us to the final act of a movie, right? Yeah. I think this is where the we finally have that confrontation in the house where um crap, what's the what's the granddaughter's name? Lori's granddaughter? Allison? Allison, yeah. Cause this is where Allison um Cameron and Lonnie's dad. I mean and Lonnie, sorry, her which was Cameron's dad. Yeah, that's what it was um yeah because tommy and wait bracket was there bracket wasn't well bracket eventually gets there but okay okay so when we get to the myers house it's allison it's uh lonnie Lonnie and and it's cameron i guess they're waiting for tommy to show up because at that time that's when tommy and like Lori's daughter uh karen are at the hospital Mm -hmm. uh you know and then we (sighs) I you get the feeling that somebody's eventually coming, but they're not going to wait around for for anyone. And they're no, because like... Lonnie goes in first, and after some time of him not showing up, that's when the kids go in. That's when uh, Allison and Cameron go in. All the lights are off, and they're like going around the house. They go in with the shotgun, and some one of them has a knife. And 
I think it's uh, Lori's downstairs. Lori, Allison's downstairs, and I think Cameron's the first one to go upstairs. Mm-hmm. And he goes and he sees what looks like uh, like blood spots, right? And I think Lori and um, again with the Lori, <laughs> Allison goes and she finds the bodies of uh, of Big John and Little John. Uh, Cameron ends up finding the body of his dad. And that's where he gets confronted by Michael first. And he tries to shoot Michael and ends up whiffing on the shot. And Michael, you know, is trying to choke him. And then that's when Allison comes running at him with the shotgun. He ends up slapping the shotgun out of her hand. And she ends up like, oh, it was kind of cool because it's all like one motion is that the gun goes flying. She pulls out the knife from behind her back and just starts stabbing the shit out of Michael. And I think this is where she ends up getting like thrown down the stairs. And um, yeah, she ends up getting thrown down the stairs and she ends up hurting her leg. And then you have Cameron getting the crap kicked out of him by Michael, getting thrown through the banisters on the ledge of the of the stairs. And then Allison ends up like screaming at Michael, finally convincing him to, to come and kill her. And as he slowly walks down the stairs, and I think if anything proves the point you were making that the Strode women aren't nearly as special quote-unquote as Lori thinks they are like as allison continues to go to michael he just walks and very calmly grabs cameron's head as it hangs off the landing and just snaps his neck like like you know just going about his business and ends up walking down the stairs continuing to like attack and then this is where karen comes in with the rescue man <laughs> so karen ends up getting the drop on uh, michael as she as uh he prepares to kill allison ends up stabbing him with the fucking pitchfork that big john and little john had his decoration out front and she ends up stealing his mask and like taunts him to follow her and i thought this was great i thought this was such a fantastic scene because you see Karen, like, the entire last movie had been, like, trying to, like, be distant from her mom and didn't want anything to do with Michael Myers. And this is the scene, I guess, where she finally, like, accepts that role and that responsibility of being a hero and essentially trying to do her part to stop Michael from continuing to victimize her and victimize her family. Mm-hmm. And I loved, I thought it was great. You don't see what Michael looks like under that mask. Yeah. But she, and that part was fantastic. They did this last movie too, when, when uh, Allison and Michael are in the back of the police car together. And it's like, I do like that this series keeps teasing you with Michael, like taking his mask off, but you still never see it. It's obstructed every single time. Mm -hmm. So it, it keeps him from being a real person to us. I think that's great. I hope we go the entire series without seeing what he looks like. <laughs> I mean, all the best, all the best, you know, movies did that in this series. The only time I ever saw like Michael's face in a Halloween movie was 
obscured by shadow in Halloween five mm-hmm. and then Rob Zombie's Halloween two, where he takes off his mask at the end, yells die to Dr. Loomis <laughs> and stabs him in the stomach before getting lit up by bullets. Jesus Christ. So Karen ends up goading Michael and ends up running through all of these alleyways into the until she finally goes into what looks to be in uh, an empty, isolated street. And she holds Michael's mask and, like, drops it. And suddenly, headlights turn on, and we see that there's a bunch of cars set up, like, kind of as barricades. And we see the crowd of, essentially, uh, um, yeah, Tommy's, like, crowd of angry people. His mob starts, like, showing up and we see people with guns you see people with (laughs) knives you see people with baseball bats this literally reminds me of and you and i have both because we are into true crime and stuff like that like it's super richard ramirez yes yes absolutely reminds me of the end of richard ramirez where he the the way he got caught was he literally got like chased down and beat up by citizens of the neighborhoods that he was terrorizing. Did we talk about it where I was like, it's hilarious to think about people that look like our dads in their 30s just <laughs> chasing this piece of shit and kicking the crap out of him and he's still like... Right, it's just like, that's what I mean. Is like, it is it is the realism and then also the theatricality of it all that I don't, just appreciate. Don't forget, and I had no idea that this happened until Jose sent us the meme in that group chat of the lady that brought an iron to kick the shit out of Michael Myers. With, like, she didn't plug it into anything either, so it was literally just like her gonna, like, bap him in the face with like the the metal part of the iron which is not a bad idea it's just hilarious <laughs> yeah and so the crowd ends up beating the shit out of him until he finally like falls to the ground after he puts his mask back on uh they end up like almost beating him what appears to be near death and then karen is like the coup de gras ends up stabbing him in the back one time with the with his knife and Tommy insists that she can leave and uh, go take care of her daughter and that him and the crowd will take care of uh, Michael. Uh, and then, so they just continue beating the fuck out of him. <laughs> and as, um, and it's like at this point is where the cops finally show up to the, My- to the Myers house and they're able to get uh, Allison out of there. Um, but and, you know, we get a voiceover of Lori talking about essentially repeating everything Loomis said, that Michael is no longer human and that he's transcended that because they've given him that power. And all he is now is pure evil and that he must be killed. And it's like at this exact moment, he gets up and starts murdering the shit out of he grabs the knife out of his own bag, starts stabbing every townsperson that hit him, and then, like, ends up, like, cutting one of the dude's hands off, the guy that had the gun. It's pretty insane. Yeah. It's and, one of those really insane, brutal scenes that makes you wonder, because we are getting Halloween Ends that comes out next year, and the only things that we know about it at this point are 
that it's going to come out next Halloween. It's the end of this series. And also that apparently David Gordon Green is going to somehow deal with the COVID-19 pandemic in this new movie. It's going to make a time jump uh, to be, I guess, more like post-pandemic. So I'm curious to see where they're going to go with that. Mm -hmm. But it's just like, yeah, it's like from the beginning of like the creation of this movie, I knew there was going to be one more. I Mm -hmm. knew they weren't going to kill him this time. No, oh no, it makes sense. to try to get out of it somehow. And this scene is great. This ending is brutal. It's kind of sad because it he takes out like all of the characters that we remember from that first movie, like Tommy and you know he kills bracket i think yeah i think Lindsay Um, Lindsay might still be alive but um but yeah it's like uh, most everyone is dead uh even after karen comes to you know console uh allison she ends up walking back up the stairs uh to judith's room looks out the window and michael comes up behind her and murders her so i mean who knows if she's actually dead but it feels like she's dead. and It feels like she's no mega dead. Yeah. And I'm furious because I called it from the beginning. <laughs> you did. I've, been, you I've did. been shouting for months about how my, my idea was that Karen was going to die in this movie. And there was going to be this. There was going to. They were going to make you think that Lori was going to die the entire film, but that Karen was going to die. And that was going to be the final piece to solidify the, the cycle of violence. And that it then put the focus on Allison being the one that has to now get revenge and kill Michael. Okay. And- so my thoughts on Halloween ends, and I can't wait to revisit this in a Halloween year when we, when we review it. Sorry. My thoughts on Halloween kills. I can't wait to, to like next year when we do Halloween ends and we can like re-listen to this again. This is what I think. I think one of two things is going to happen in this next movie. One, Allison is going to be the one that finally kills Michael, and it's going to be a la H2O. She's going to cut his head off. She's going to remove his limbs, or she's going to like throw him into like a trash compactor or something. She's going to feed him into a meat grinder. Make him physically impossible to continue to sustain life on this earth. Or... The second one is it's all going to come down to Lori and Michael one more time and Lori and Michael are going to die killing each other. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, let's say it right now and we'll see what happens. But I have a feeling that it's going to be Allison about to kill Michael or Allison that gets fucked up by Michael. And then Lori's going to come to the uh, realization of what she's done to her family mm-hmm. by just not moving away from that. Yeah. <laughs> so because she let her obsession take over. So she's going to absolve her granddaughter by dying with Michael. And then it's going to be like in, Lo- in the end of the Lion King where where Scar gets thrown into the fire. Or literally, like the one of the original like ending ideas for Halloween H two O, like whereas like in that one they said ha- Michael gets beheaded by the propeller of a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Maybe they both get beheaded by the propeller of a helicopter. <laughs> they shoot themselves into space. <laughs> you just see it like slapping each other in space. <laughs> <laughs> you bitch. Uh. 
All right. Oh, so, uh, Avi, uh, do mm-hmm. you like Halloween kills? I don't know. It's still kind of complicated. Like, I'm still <laughs> trying to decide if I like it or not. Because I'm right now, I like certain parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. But because it gets so ham fisted and weird, I don't like it as much as I like 2018. I'm just going to say I don't like it for lack of a, you know, easier explanation. Like perfect. that's perfect. That's super perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with that. Like, I like things I like. Uh, there's some things this movie does right. And there's a lot of like the 1978 night of the Michael's capture. I thought that mm-hmm. was fantastic. And I think you and I talked about how I would love to see a movie, a slasher movie with the focus on um, law enforcement or investigators the night they capture somebody right and i would love to uh, i think that would be really cool because you know slashers is the focus is always on on um, the killers themselves like, so like a mystery movie like really we could have been following hawkins and it could have been like michael like just like roaming through the neighborhoods unseen in the night killing other people and our guys who are following are trying to find him throughout the movie. Yes. And then Hawkins has to run full speed through a window as <laughs> got a DeVito play <laughs> right before right before Michael kills Lori. Oh my god. That would All be right. Great. So I like this movie. I have less hang-ups with it. I like it in the Halloween franchise. I like it better than Halloween 2018. Wow. Halloween 2018. I know Halloween 2018 has kind of aged poorly for me. It's like I said, when we first started doing this, like I, I I thought it was a lot better than it was, but there's stuff in the movie in that movie that I don't particularly care for. And there's stuff in that movie that I think Halloween H2O did better. Mm -hmm. So I don't even look at that movie as being that great as everyone else thinks it is. Again, like I, your opinion i I get it i I super get it and i know that i'm gonna be in the minority i know i'm in the minority of this because this movie has a poor rating and and rotten mm -hmm. tomatoes and a lot of people dislike it but it did make all of its money back it made really good money uh you know debuting during a pandemic and also being on peacock like for the streaming side of things like and i think you and i talk about this every time and i hadn't mentioned it this entire episode yet but Every single new movie that we've reviewed this year that's been on HBO Max and now Peacock, I think I'm more forgiving of things that I would be less forgiving of because of the convenience of watching this movie at home. Mm -hmm. Like I'm so caught up in the kind of novelty of watching something that's supposed to be in theaters in my house that i am able to forgive things that i probably wouldn't if i saw the movie in a theater yeah that's true you're you're willing to give a lot more movies passes given the convenience of it Mm -hmm. so yeah i think that's about wraps up halloween kills all right Um, uh so next week uh we're doing two episodes um one of them is going to be halloween 2 which i that one will be released on halloween uh but you know before that the movie that we're going to be talking about next time is going to be 1999 the blair witch project oh it feels like it's a rite of passage for movie podcasts to do blair witch project you know what this is one of those movies that i, I think well not like halloween kills but 
it's one of those movies that a lot of people like mo- like a lot of modern audiences probably don't look at as being such a big deal because paranormal activity has been out and mm-hmm. it's kind of taken on the mantle as like the big like found footage horror movie and stuff like that but i will tell you that the Blair Witch Project is one of those movies that I thought was not scary at all when I first watched it when I was like 11, 12 years old, like around the time it came out. But I've rewatched it as an adult. And now that I've rewatched it several times and understand more of what that movie was about and what actually happened in it. That movie is fucking terrifying. Oh my god. A hundred percent. Like it it has aged into being a much more frightening movie than it ever was when I watched it as a younger person. And I've never had that experience with the movie before. So you, I can't wait to talk about it. Do you want to see a 30-year-old experience visceral fear? Go stand in a corner as we enter the room <laughs> with your back to us, okay? So, and only people that have watched that movie will get that reference. So yeah, I'm going to watch Blair Witch Project, and I'm also going to get my hands on The Dirty. Curse of the Blair Witch, which mm-hmm. was the Sci-Fi Channel special mm-hmm. that uh, debuted before the movie came out. Sci-Fi Channel in 99, uh, you know, they, they showed this as if it was a real documentary, and they use deleted scene or they use unused footage from the Blair Witch Project movie. And it gives you a bunch of detail around what's happening. So I can't wait to talk about that movie next week. It's probably the one that I've been looking forward to most this entire month, because I think actually... our opinions on this are going to shock people. So you can actually find Curse of the Blair Witch on Tubi. It's on Apple TV, yep. Amazon Prime. So, yeah, it's, it's available for people. Yeah. You can watch it if you want. All right. So we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. Please continue to interact with us on social media and leave us comments in our Apple podcast. I really, uh, you know, I, I saw a comment uh, that was left on our Apple podcast page the other day, and it really kind of warmed my heart <laughs> because, you know, like we haven't really gotten a lot of those uh, yet. And, you know, again, like, leaving comments and reviewing the show there is what's going to get up the visibility of the podcast. And sometimes you can just like stumble upon like a message that makes your evening uh, like the one we did here. Uh, So this this is a uh, review that was left by user's name is Jeff striker one, two, three. And it was left on the 25th of September. And um, you know, the, the title of the review was two Hispanics talking about movies. And uh, he talks about how he found the podcast while looking, you know, while looking for podcasts about the movie demons and Mm -hmm. came across our show uh, said that we are well, that we are uh, well knowledgeable and that the podcast was very enjoyable and told us to keep it going. So thanks Jeff. Yeah. Like that's one of those moments where you're like, yeah, I definitely appreciate doing that. And I encourage more of you guys to leave us those kind of reviews because it definitely gives us the motivation to keep going. Please we're leave going us having only, long weeks. Please leave us only good reviews because our egos are very fragile. <laughs> so, uh, and we might cry. So, uh, yeah, kidding. continue to interact with us on social media. And uh, thanks for joining us for this episode. And we'll talk to you guys next week when we do the Blair Witch Project. So talk to you guys later. Later, you lovable bastards.